Yes, welcome inside a Friday edition of the program. Hope you're gearing up for a weekend ahead that's going to include a lot of different variety of sports. You have uh, always college basketball. You have local high school basketball. You have NFL action. If you are so inclined about the NBA, you have that as well. By the way, Pacers, nice win last night. I mean, a dominating win over the Philadelphia 76ers. You have a little bit of that. Um, it, it's it's busy. I know um, for those that love tennis, you've got the Australian Open going on right now. Uh, there's a lot of different things happening and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about most of it on the program today uh ball statements basketball is in action at home tomorrow a two-game homestand here uh if you include tomorrow and on tuesday as well when bowling green is in town uh that there's a big opportunity for the ball statements basketball team i feel like we've been saying that same narrative over and over again but at the end of the day hey it's uh, the opportunity that's in front of you and northern illinois on paper on paper is um, you know uh, one of those teams that you should absolutely take advantage of this opportunity so we'll dive in uh, to that matchup here in a little bit ball state women's basketball looking to continue their streak um, coming up tomorrow at eastern michigan a one o'clock tip off on the road before ball state would come back home wednesday evening as kent state would be in town and uh, of course 11 straight 17 and 2 and Ball State trying to tie their uh, program record for a start in Mid-American Conference play, and that would be a 7-0 start, I believe it is. You know, it's it's uh, the, the the game count is uh, certainly uh, kind of trickling along here. Um, but uh, Ball State 11, 11 in a row, seventeen and two overall. They're first in the Mid American Conference right now, and uh, they're seven and zero right now. They'd be eight and zero after tomorrow if that were the case. So um, big moments for both basketball programs as well. Uh, big NFL action coming up, and I want to talk to George Bremer all about this. He'll join us coming up at 425 in the next segment of the show. Um, you know, I, I just feel like we've got the most consistent teams from the year in these championship games, NFC, AFC respectively. Um, kind of fitting that Kansas City's got to be here and Baltimore, who's had a wonderful year, um, has to knock off the defending champs in order to get to the pinnacle. And then you have uh, Detroit and uh, you have San Francisco. And I think those have been the two most consistent teams all year long. I think you've got the four best teams heading into this. And, you know, we talked about it last year feeling that exact same way, that uh, Kansas City and Philadelphia and Cincinnati and uh, San Francisco, um, they were the four best teams last year. Now, um, I get it. You had the Dallas Cowboys, who would have been the two-seed, right? Uh, the two-seed, uh, and they fell to the Packers in the wild-card round. You know, they had earned that right to certainly have a home playoff game, but as we as we fully well know, obviously, uh, that didn't exactly go the Cowboys' way. But, um, you know, I, I think Detroit 
in a lot of ways, made the biggest statement at the beginning of the season when um, I always think that Thursday night, when you start the NFL season, folks, is one of those nights where it should be just a complete celebration of the team that just won the uh, the championship from the year before. And I can't remember the last time that when one of those games existed, that the team that was the road team in that game of the ring celebration for the Kansas City Chiefs in this perspective, uh, they go into that th- their house and they win that football game. And Detroit beat up the Kansas City Chiefs in game number one of the season. I mean, that was an opening night statement from Detroit and kind of put them on the map in a lot of ways that they had arrived. And from that point on, look, there's been ups and downs for certain, but Detroit being a double-digit win team, winning the NFC North, all of those different things that they've accomplished this year, and uh, so fitting that they're in the NFC Championship. I'll talk about where... I think this is headed uh, coming up uh, here in a little bit with George Bremer from the Herald Bulletin. And uh, I've got one game that I feel very strongly about and another game that I am going to go with a gut feeling, which is always fun. And we'll dive into that and also talk a little bit of Colts-related news coming up. Um, What did I tell you about the Indiana Pacers, folks? I did tell you that it's going to take some time. But at the end of the day, I don't know if there is a team across the league that has had as many impressive victories this season as have the Indiana Pacers. So last night they defeated the Philadelphia 76ers again without Tyrese Halliburton winning 134-122. And throughout many moments of the second half of play, the Indiana Pacers had 20-plus point leads in this game. Uh, Beat up. Philadelphia, and maybe you just caught him at the right time because Joel Embiid coming off a 70-point performance earlier this week. This is how that happens. When the emotion runs high and you have one of those marquee games and everything that surrounds that, it just kind of feels like you fall back down to earth a little bit. And Philadelphia's a really good team. I mean, they're 29-14 and for a reason. But... This has always been a very difficult matchup for Indiana, specifically because of Joel Embiid. Um, he, he really always just plays well against Indiana, and a lot of that attention has always been directed towards Miles Turner, to be totally honest with you. It's kind of been that mano e mano matchup, and you're always asking to see the best of Miles Turner when he goes against guys like, well, Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic and, and those sorts of things. And at the end of the day, it was kind of the opposite in this regard. Joel Embiid had a great game. He put up 31, seven rebounds. He shot over 50%. All the things that you would expect from him But the rest of the supporting cast really didn't contribute much other than Tyrese Maxey. And Maxey was 7 of 17 from the field. Everybody else, a lot of crickets, a lot of nothing. And meanwhile, the Pacers put seven in double figures, and it was an overwhelming um, victory for Indiana. And offensively, they did it again. And this by far was the best game you've seen from Pascal Siakam. And he was marvelous, having a triple-double of 26 points, uh, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists. How about that? Not bad 
for a guy that just arrived last Friday. It was like his sixth day in an Indiana Pacers uniform. And he was phenomenal. It felt like the chemistry was there. And Indiana had all five starters in double figures, seven in total if you count Obi Toppin off the bench and Benedict Matherin, who both had 13 points apiece. So I feel like... You're going to get more results like that. You're going to get a little bit more consistency that way. Again, Indiana is uh, is a good team, but at the end of the day, they're still 25-20. and 20. They have work to do, and I think uh, priority number one will be getting Tyrese Halliburton back, which what an honor for him yesterday, being named an all-star starter. That's a big moment. I mean, that is a big moment. My question would be, will you see Tyrese Halliburton play in the all-star game? Is it worth it? even if he comes back in the next week or two because you played him last Friday and now he hasn't played the last three, four games or so, is it worth it to expose him to the All-Star game? I think we brought that up upon the week he was injured. I did. Um, asking the question out of curiosity like it, it's a it's a glorified exhibition game it's great to be represented you have it in the city of Indianapolis in the state of Indiana all those different things are wonderful but at the end of the day it is an exhibition game um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play I just wouldn't be surprised so um, but to be named a starter, you can always have that uh, in your mix. He's one of four pacers, one of now uh, four pacers that have done it. The previous three: Paul George, Jermaine O'Neal, and Reggie Miller. Miller in '95, Jermaine O'Neal. I didn't realize this. He was an All-Star starter three times in his career. And then most recently, Paul George in 2014 and 2016, and Tyrese Halliburton adding one to his name as well. So that's a big moment. I mean, that is that is truly a, a great opportunity for him. Um, I just wonder if he will actually play uh, in the All-Star game coming up here in a few weeks' time. But uh, we'll get there. Uh, Indiana 25-20. and 20, And the road doesn't get any easier for Indiana. Um, they had Philadelphia last night, and they have the Phoenix Sun coming in to Gamebridge Fieldhouse a little bit later this evening. So I got to tell you, I think it's going to be a, a, a very important stretch for Indiana. And we know the challenge that always exists with Devin Booker and uh, Kevin Durant coming into Indianapolis tonight. So let's talk about uh, Ball State men's basketball. So uh, they have a matchup coming up tomorrow uh, afternoon against Northern Illinois. And we had Coach Michael Lewis on the show yesterday, by the way. You can access that podcast by going to WMUNMuncie.com or you can also uh, just subscribe to WMUN wherever you get your podcasts from. Again, the replay of this program is always available about 10 minutes after the conclusion of each and every show right here on WMUN. So uh, we had a good conversation with Coach yesterday again. I think uh, this stood out to me, and it's something that we've mentioned as well. And I said that the, the one aspect that this team needs to improve upon, and Coach said their consistency. And I think um, that has been, in a lot of ways, the story for this basketball team, that there have been glimpses. You know, you can look at uh, Indiana State. You can look at um, some of the different opportunities that they've had all season long. And, you know, the Akron-Toledo, Central Michigan games, you can point to 
four of the five losses in Mid-American Conference play and say there were glimpses that there wasn't a question that Ball State was the better team um, on the floor that day. I felt that way about the Miami of Ohio game last Saturday. Felt that way at moments in the Toledo game in the second half. Akron, uh, very much the same. It all changed with about four minutes to play. And it was those closing moments that I think has been hyper-focused on, finding ways to close games. But you can look at a lot of different things. Like Coach had said on uh, yesterday's show, you know, there's a lot of focus at the way things ended against Miami of Ohio. But the fact of the matter is, it didn't come down to one play, down to a couple of plays. It was moments of good and moments of not so good. And you always focus on one or two plays that ultimately decide a game, but the fact of the matter is that's never really the case. And so the word consistency is very, very interesting, and a lot of things ring true about that. A young team, a team that hasn't been very, you know, together very long. Um, your your best player and your most uh, biggest matchup nightmare is a guy that was a sixth, seventh guy off the bench a year ago. He's certainly evolving, but he's also evolving as a leader as well. There, there's a lot of things you take for granted and just naturally expect. Uh, from a team and in this perspective in this team I think all of those things can be incredibly valid that look they they are very young they are very inexperienced I mean even look at the way that the rotations have, have evolved over the last uh, couple of weeks you know Trent Middleton's a part of the rotation then he's not then he's in, then he is then now he's in the starting lineup Davion Bailey had a great week a week ago this week it's been a little bit up and down you are tinkering with this lineup tinkering with how you feel about this basketball team because you've got to do that to not only keep things fresh but at the same time this is a young team and that's what you got to do sometimes with a young team and so I find that very, very interesting. And yet, all of that being said, these next two games for Bowl State, tomorrow against Northern Illinois and Tuesday against Bowling Green, when you have both of them at home and we all know how good of a record Bowl State men's basketball has had at home, um, you can transform the way you look in the Mid-American Conference standings right this moment as a result of that so it's really interesting there is a clear divide between the top half of the league and everybody else the top half of the league includes five teams the everybody else includes seven teams so you know you could be the upper half of the middle portion of the league which I I think honestly you know the Central Michigan Western Michigan Bowling Green Toledo and Akron are five and two or better in conference play right now I think the teams that they are are most careful about as you hear me harp on time and time again are the teams that are in the other category you know the Kent State Miami of Ohio Ohio and of course Ball State Buffalo Eastern Michigan and Northern Illinois it's likely those top five teams are going to have a loss or two to the teams that are in the middle or bottom of the conference right now and those are the ones that you're going to shake your head at, but it happens every single year. It happens every single time. And I know I talk about it a lot. I know it probably becomes super redundant, but I like to, to, to drive in the point that that really is the essence of this conference. It really is something.
uh, it, it's wild that this Mid-American Conference is really unpredictable at a lot of points. And, you know, Toledo has one loss. Uh, Akron's perfect right now, but you think about it, Akron has one loss. Toledo and, and Akron are in a chase for the top of the league. And then you have three teams at 5-2, and two, um, that there's really no separation that are fighting for positions 3, 4, and 5 in the conference. But the point of this all, all, all is this. Ball State takes care of the next two. They're at the top half of the bottom seven, which means you would be in the sixth position. You would have that opportunity. You could be sixth through seventh. And again, the top eight teams make the Mid-American Conference Tournament. We are a long ways away from that. But what felt like about a week ago to be a moment where you're like, oh, man, you could really fall far behind. You could be in the bottom portion of the league. I mean, you know, the way you've competed against some of the top teams in the conference and the opportunities that you have with three of your next four at home, I'm telling you, there's, there's a lot of opportunities still to be had here. A lot of opportunities to still be had here. And this four-game stretch, I think, is important because as you look at the schedule, think about it this way, too. Three of the next four are at home. But then, you know, you have a, you have a breaking point there where you play Texas State on the road in the Sun Belt Mid-American Conference Challenge, and then you come back to play Miami of Ohio on February 17th. So that would be a span of 11 days in between Mid-American Conference games, and it's kind of the sprint to the end because you have seven games left uh, in Mid-American Conference play. Four on the road, three at home. So, you know, we do this, and I know it's one game at a time, as we've talked about consistently with pretty much every coach we have. It's, 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 it's you know, the one game at a time mentality. That being said, this next four-game stretch is going to tell you a lot about what needs to happen in the final seven Mid-American Conference games. It's by no means saying that the Texas State game doesn't matter, but ultimately, the, the way the postseason is reacted to is all going to be dependent on how you do in conference play so this is this is a huge moment uh these next four games starting with this saturday uh you know three of three or four at home yeah you got to take advantage of that and oh by the way let me remind you of this only one of those teams happens to be, or actually two of those teams. So I guess it's two teams in the top half, two teams in your tier. Um, you know, you've got Bowling Green coming up on Tuesday. Uh, that's a team at five and two in conference. Uh, but Ohio is three and four. That's a team that's one game ahead of you right now. So you've got immense opportunities coming up uh, to, 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 you know, a battle for the middle the the upper half of the middle of the conference if there is such a thing <laughs> uh, the way i describe it is the upper half of the middle so a lot still to happen but consistency watch it um that's that's going to be the moment here but northern illinois great opportunity coming up tomorrow for ball state they're 0 six in conference they are six and 12 
overall this season. Thanks to those of you joining us on Facebook Live. Big high school basketball matchup tonight at Delta High School where Wabahani visits the Delta Eagles. Our coverage right here on the Talk of Muncie, the new WMUN, begins at uh, around 7 o'clock. It's Rick Johnston and it is Rob Fisher on the call. Rob is going to join us coming up here in a little bit as we discuss that matchup and uh, preview uh, a lot more things happening in high school basketball for sure there's so many things that are going on um in in that uh, side of things next week is the girls uh sectional so uh their tournament begins i know wrestling sectional uh, begins very very soon you also have uh swimming that's going to get going uh five weeks left in the boys basketball regular season so there's a lot going on and it is going to be a change to the end as february march are two of the busiest months of the year from a local high school sports standpoint all right when we come back we're talk about these games coming up on sunday the afc nfc championship uh george bremer from the Herald Bulletin covers the Colts. Going to talk that up with us when we return power and talk about CWMUN. Yes, we're presented by Walls Furniture and Mattress. Nebo wrote in Muncie online at wallsfurniture.com. 90% of what's on the showroom foreign stock for you 48 hours or less. That's the Walls Furniture and Mattress difference, just different. You know, whether you've browsed this week or browsed a couple of months ago, you come back, make the selection, it's going to be ready for you 90% of the time in 48 hours. That is miraculous. At Walls Furniture and Mattress, Nebo Rodemonsi online at Walls Furniture. Com. Well, we got a couple of uh, pretty important football games coming up this weekend, as uh, we do each and every week. It's George Bremer from the Herald Bulletin. Um, rank this week from a Colts coverage standpoint as far as um, busy factor um, is this one of the quieter weeks uh, that you have uh, throughout uh, the coverage of 365 days of this football team yeah usually through the Super Bowl um, you know unless you have major major non-football related news which nobody ever wants to see because it's almost always bad Uh, beyond that this is kind of the one time where you, you kind of – this and what, probably late June is when you can kind of take a breath, uh, and there's just not a lot going on outside of, obviously, two hugely important games and, and then, you know, one more a couple of weeks from now. So um, just to kind of look ahead, when the Super Bowl ends, when is the period that uh, Colts will, will, will re-sign – players before they go to free agency because again uh, there are some key guys especially Michael Pittman Jr. just kind of putting some dates and some uh, time frames in uh, fans heads to kind of keep an eye on yeah I mean everything kind of gets started usually around the time of the combine which is right there at the end of February kind of overlapping into the beginning of March Uh, that's when you're going to have agents you know all over Indianapolis and uh, all a lot of meetings going on there, so that's where a guy like Michael Pittman will get some sense of what might be out there if he does hit the market. Uh, the big day is going to be, I think it's it's either the week before that or the week after that when you have to to apply the franchise tag. They have a little window there, uh, and that's obviously going to be critical of the Pittman situation. We'll see how that domino falls. They can technically re-sign anybody on the roster right now. I mean, now until 
uh, whatever the the first day in March, it's usually like around the March 17th, I want to say, uh, when the new league year starts. That's when everybody's contracts are officially up. That's when you can start signing with other teams. Until that date, there's nothing preventing the Colts from from re-signing any of their free agents. But like I said, the really the big thing is right here towards the end of February. That franchise tag window is probably going to get a lot more attention this year than it has in years here in Indy. Well, what I find interesting about it, and I feel like this trend has happened over the last half decade, is the franchise tag is really seen as a disgruntled move for a player. Whereas the, the, the franchise tag in the past, what, what was really used as a nice asset, now it's almost like, especially at the wide receiver position, I think this is kind of the perfect example here, that um, it, it almost handcuffs the player from getting that long-term contract that they want. So in this case, could it be a detriment that if they franchise tag him, that he wouldn't be willing to do a long-term deal because it it basically prevented him from doing it in the first place. I mean, Pittman addressed that at the end of the year, and he sounds like he's open to it. He obviously doesn't want to play under the franchise tag. I don't think you're going to see any player in the league raise their hand and say, yes, I want a one-year deal. Don't don't sign me long-term. Uh, but I think he understands that it's part of the business. It, it's, it's a tool that's at the team's disposal. And he said, you know, you get $23 million. So it's not like you're you're completely you know under the thumb. But as you said, I think from the agent standpoint, I think the problem is it depresses the market because everybody knows the Colts can simply slap the the franchise tag on him. And at that point, you know if they if they put the exclusive tag on, no one can even negotiate with him. It's just the Colts who have the ability to sign him long term. It starts at that $23 million per year. So, it's, again, as Pittman suggested, it's not a terrible deal. But as you're saying, you usually want that long-term deal. And I do think Pittman sounds willing to negotiate if he gets that tag. But it's – and Chris Bowers mentioned it as well. It's, it's not something the Colts want to do. It's not their first option. And I think every team feels that way. You'd rather get that, that extension done first – and then, you know, not have to use franchise tag. I don't right now, but we'll see. I don't see this becoming a situation quite like Jonathan Taylor last year. It's different all the way around. I mean, the positional value is different. They can use the franchise tag now that wasn't in play last year because Taylor was still under contract. Right. You know, there's a lot of, of other things that seem to be the, the receiver market is, is much more well-defined. They kind of, I, I think one of the things is they kind of know what it's going to take. And Ballard hinted at that in his postseason uh, press conference as well. They pretty much know what the going market is for Michael Pittman. So it's just a matter of sitting down and hammering out the details with his agent. So, a quick question that came into my mind when you discussed that. Let's, let's hypothetically say, I mean, if they don't get a long-term deal done with Michael Pittman Jr., I'd be surprised the Colts wouldn't use that tag on him, specifically position need, all those different things. Let's just hypothetically say they get a deal done with Michael Pittman Jr. Um, would Grover Stewart be in play? for a franchise tag or is that seen as they're definitely going to get something done with him but at defensive tackle the shelf life of elite elite which Grover Stewart's well within his prime 
is that one of those moves that you say, maybe we won't extend it, but we got this franchise tag now, now that we re-sign Michael Pittman Jr., is that the only other player you could kind of see that working out for? I really would be surprised if they use it on anybody but Pittman. I think if Taylor was still out there, you know, that would obviously be – and I think a lot of people were expecting him to to get tagged if they weren't able to to come to an agreement as they were, you know, during the regular season. Uh, I think if it's not Pittman, I don't think you'll see them use the tag. I just don't think – that defense tackle number is probably a little bit higher than they want to go right now. For, for Grover Stewart, you never say never in this league, right. but I think the idea with him will be more try to find a, a two to three year solution and you know work things out that way. Well, and and, and I, I, I when when you mentioned that, I forgot about the um, uh, the big number that I mean Aaron Donald's number um, really hurts because it's it goes off the average of the top of the top. Also, Chris Jones getting that one year deal, even though he was tagged um, d- because they did all the incentive stuff um those two guys it it really at a position um especially defensive tackle which is a little bit different than wide receiver because there's so many high-paid wide receivers when you have two guys that get more than everybody else that hurts that value the franchise tag and grover stewart's not in that stratosphere right Right, and then that's exactly what the, the issue is there. I mean, the top of that group is so well paid. Uh, and it's, it's one of those things that in the league's struggling list at a lot of positions where you really have two different positions in there. Right. You know, when you look at Aaron Donald, you're looking more at DeForest Buckner. The job that Grover Stewart does is a different job, but he's under the same tag. And so, you know, I, I doubt that they would go that route. But I, I do think, you know, I think it's pretty obvious who some of the top guys that they're going to target are. I mean, again, Ballard mentioned a lot of them already. He said they want to bring Grover Stewart back. They want to bring Michael Pittman back. He brought Julian Blackman up on his own if somebody wants to bring back. And I would think that they're going to want to try to get something done with Kenny Moore as well. There's a lot of guys, though. I think there's 20 free agents right now. It, you know, we keep talking about it being a quieter offseason because they don't need a head coach and they don't need a quarterback. Right don't have the chaos that has been there the last what four or five years uh, but it's there's a lot of big decisions to be made here uh, once we start rolling into really combine time well especially when when you have success and I think Houston had you know had just a little bit more success than Indy just by getting in the playoffs and winning a playoff game and all those sorts of things but Houston and Indy are in the same spot they they, they had a successful first year and now it feels like year number two is really that pivot point do you sustain it uh, do you go after it um, how aggressive do you go and you know Houston's got some of their own that they've got to re-sign but it almost feels like Hendy and Houston could be two of the more aggressive or projected to be more aggressive in free agency because of the success they had in year one and they have a structure a base with hopefully the quarterback for Indy and the coach right I mean, that's the thing you know both of them have young quarterbacks you don't have to worry about those big numbers at that position and it gives you a little bit more freedom gives you a little more flexibility I think the Colts are, are at least the plan I think right now it's for them to use a lot of that money internally but this is definitely a year uh, if they see somebody out there who they feel like can make a big splash this is a year to do it I don't know you know if, if there is a free agent out there or will be one out there uh, that can fit that kind of criteria. But, you know, you go back to 2020 when they brought in DeForest Buckner, you could see that kind of a move this out this offseason if the Colts feel like, you know, there's somebody who it, – it's just a really 
really strict set of high criteria, a really high bar uh, that Chris Ballard has to make a move like that. Okay. Uh, who is playing in the Super Bowl in two weeks, George? That'll be an interesting one. I, I feel really solid with San Francisco. We talked about that last week. I, I feel like they were the, the class of the NFC. Green Bay put a real scare into them, though. And, it, you know, I think Detroit's offense has played outstanding all year long, but particularly in the playoffs. And, and their defense, which is much maligned, 23rd in scoring, has done a good job in the red zone, you know, keeping people to field goals, keeping these games close. I, I think that's maybe a little bit closer than people expect, but I think San Francisco comes out on top in that one. And Baltimore and Kansas City, you can almost just flip a coin. I'm just going to go with, to me, the big matchup there is that the the Chiefs offense throughout the year has not been as good as normal. It's looked pretty good in these two playoff games. They look like they might be getting things back on track. But Baltimore is the number one scoring defense in the NFL, and I think that's the difference on Sunday. I think the Ravens win, the 49ers win. Uh, it'll be a Harbaugh Bowl rematch, although one Harbaugh brothers in a, a different team in California. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know last year because the Eagles were the were the yeah the Eagles were the one seed last year, and Kansas City was the one seed last year. And I know that was kind of abnormal to have both one seeds represent two years in a row. I don't. I, I guess we'd have to look back, but it, it it doesn't typically happen this way where it's one seed versus one seed. Yeah, usually, one of them loses before even the conference championship game. But right. yeah. You, history tells you, odds tell you, one of the two seeds, or three seeds, actually, they're both three seeds, will win on the road on Sunday. I think a lot of people are going to pick the Chiefs. I don't think that that's a bad idea. I mean, I think both these games are going to be close games. I think all four of these teams have earned their way here. I just think the 49ers' strength on defense over the, the problems that Detroit's had on defense will be the problem there. And I just – I can see a world – where Kansas City's receivers fail Patrick Mahomes again against the league's top-scoring defense. Okay, I want to go back to the Colts here real quick. Um, Jim Harbaugh, um, that connection, Colts and and Harbaugh, I think even went back to 2018 um, when, when the Colts hired Frank Reich. And um, obviously, you hire Josh McDaniels, you get Frank Reich, all those different things. And then this last cycle, it was very well publicized that Jim Harbaugh was fortin' with the NFL again. Did they ever talk from what you've heard? And if if they ha- if they didn't, from what it seems like, wh- why didn't they? Because it felt like there were so many connections there. Uh, I'm just curious about that whole situation. There was never an official meeting. Uh, there's been a lot of of whispers that there were some back channels talks that, that went on and it just didn't go very far. I've never been able to really confirm that. Uh, but it, it is pretty well accepted uh, around the team that, that there were some back channel early on talks. I've heard about 50 different reasons for why it didn't uh, come to pass. And it, you talk to, you know, it's one of those things where you talk to 50 people and they'll each give you a different answer, but it does from, from what I've heard. And again, I can't confirm it to a point where I can print it. Uh, but from what I have heard, there were talks, uh, they just never advanced to even an official stage. Well, and the reason I bring that up and why it sparked a reason to ask it here is the fact that Harbaugh went to a spot, um, where he had played before and there was a connection with the Chicago Bears before they uh, had Matt Eberflus. And if Eberflus would have been let go, I think there would have been a connection. There. It, it almost felt like 
Jim Harbaugh likes familiarity um he went to went to Michigan because it's his alma mater he's now with the Chargers because he knows the Spanos family um again there's continuity with the Ursays and and when Harbaugh was here in 96 in that big deal like the fact that that happened almost makes it really more intriguing for me to ask that question because it feels like that's a Harbaugh trend oh there's no doubt and that that's why he was so strongly connected last year because much like the Spanos family, the Ursay family has a good relationship with Arbol. Uh, and as you said, you know, he's, he likes to go back to places uh, where he feels comfortable, where he has connections. I've heard so many different things in there that it's hard to really know what derailed things here. But every, every version I've heard is that it was very early on, you know, a very informal contact. And very early on, it became apparent that it, it just wasn't going to be a fit. Interesting. Well, uh, th- I appreciate the perspective, George. Enjoyed the football over the weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. No problem. Should, should be a fun week. Absolutely. It's George Bremer from the Herald Bulletin with us. That's interesting stuff right there. That one just came came up. Uh, I want to talk about that when we come back. Power Talk on CWMUN. Brought you in part by Sheriff Gosselin Roofing. Your roof is there to protect your family. Make sure you're doing all you can to protect them. Sheriff Gosselin has been helping families for generations. Remember to call Pete Dahlia or look them up at worryfreeroof.com. Glad you're with us on the program here. Um, interesting stuff. We don't have a ton of time to touch on this. This is for a future show. Um, the Colts are very happy with Shane Steichen. Don't get me wrong, but... If you look at every one of Jim Harbaugh's stops, and he's uh, now with the uh, L.A. Chargers as of uh, yesterday or the day before, every move he's made, including his first stop as uh, a head coach at San Diego, it's in the same town he played in. And I think he was living out there at the time, got the job, whatever. I mean, the only one that – Stanford's the only really one. I'm sure there might have been a connection there. But anyway, it's um, – when he took the Chargers job that almost had me asking even more questions I think the fan base would have loved having Jim Harbaugh here obviously they're they're thrilled with Shane Steichen don't get me wrong but there's a curiosity there because it almost feels like there were only a couple of spots where Jim Harbaugh would have landed Um, and you know I kind of wonder this I kind of wonder had Michigan won a national championship last year or gotten to the national championship game and hadn't gotten beaten by TCU in the semifinals, what last year's coaching search might have been? And I know it's kind of, you know, uh, hypothetical because we'll never know. But had Michigan had success and gotten back to the national championship game and done all the things and Jim Harbaugh would have been praised because this year obviously had to prove a lot. What would have been last year's year's uh, uh, last off season's coaching search? Interesting. All right. When we come back, we'll switch over to high school talk. That's coming your way next. Back for a final time on the program. Glad you can join us. Power Talk of Muncie WMUN brought to you by State Farm Agent Jason May. Make sure. 
You're getting all the discounts you deserve by calling Jason at 747-7100 today. Big high school matchup tonight. Rob Fisher will be our analyst tonight with Rick Johnston at Delta High School. Delta Wapahani coming up. I, I do want to preview. Uh, Rob's going to join me on the coaches show tomorrow morning. We got some great uh, guests tomorrow. Brock Morrison, women's basketball or uh, girls basketball coach at Monroe Central and the uh, Yorktown boys basketball team. But Rob's going to join me uh, this morning. He supplied me with a list of the top 40 scores, county and city, in, uh, in this area in history. And, of course, over the last couple of days, we talked about the, the Isaac Andrews story. Well, um, we're going to have a segment on that tomorrow morning. So those that are very interested in the history of uh, high school basketball around here, Rob, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that discussion because there's, there's a big moment ahead, potentially. Yeah, there's uh, there's no question about it, and you know that record that, as you mentioned uh, earlier, has stood for 64 years, and uh, and Isaac Andrews has a chance, a chance, and a pretty good one to to get to that threshold, and it's going to be fun watching the last month of the season, maybe into the to the uh, tournament uh, to see if Isaac can pull that off. But it's a great story. This and like we, you and I talked about this morning, this thing just. It doesn't happen every year. No. This is uh this is very rare, so hopefully Hopefully he can get it done. I think it'd be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, we were looking at that list, and only two players, and we'll mention this, two players in the last uh, couple of decades have even entered the top 15, let alone a chance at the, the all-timer. And to your point, I mean, uh, the, you know, most of those players played in the uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, um, if you yep. look at the yep. list. Yeah, and I know we'll touch on it more tomorrow, but, you know, there's always factors. Oh, he has a three-point shot where Ron Bonham didn't, you know, and all that stuff. And it's all right. That's true. But uh, you still gotta you still got to put the, the ball in the hoop. And, uh, yep. And Isaac Andrews has done that quite well for four years. Yeah, pretty consistently. Uh, that's for sure. Speaking of Isaac, uh, you'll, you'll get to see him tonight uh, as Wapahani heads to Delta. And, and kind of strange, right? Um, just kind of the way the draw worked out. Um, you don't play twice this year. And, you know, Delta and Wapahani have played twice in a year, I think, each of the last three, maybe four years because of the county mm-hmm. tournament. And um, so it's late January, and these two are seeing each other for the first time. And you're kind of sitting there like, that's odd because that doesn't happen every year. No doubt about it. You know, they did play two times last year, and Wapahani won both of those games. So obviously, the, if you're a senior at Delta, you don't want to end your career against Wapahani by dropping three in a row. And, and maybe even more important, the fact that Delta's lost two games in a row here in the last couple of weeks, you know, starting with that county championship game with Yorktown and then going to Pendleton Heights and, and losing that one. Now you've got Wapahani, and if you come away with a loss again tonight, now they go to Mount Vernon tomorrow night for a conference game and then got Greenfield Central next Thursday. So you really want to come away tonight, I think, with a win to get that good taste back in your mouth before you enter two big conference games. Yeah, yeah. So um, I just looked this up very quickly. 2021-2022, the only season uh, for Mark Detweiler as head coach at Delta, except this year where they haven't seen Wapahani in two straight years. I'm looking back and I see six of the last seven years Wapahani and Delta have played in uh, twice in the year. So this will be, so after this year, it'll be uh, seven of nine years, uh, which is uh, pretty wild. It's just kind of the way things work out. All right. 
right, Waze Wapahani wins, Waze Delta wins, as you've seen both teams pretty consistently this year, Rob. Well, I think Delta, um, Delta's got to play some defense. You know, they, interesting stat, um, they've given up 60 points or more four times this year, and those are their four losses. So if they keep up, obviously, odds favor them if they keep the score under 60 points to win a ball game. Um, so they're obviously they're going to have to try to limit the touches of Isaac Andrews. We watched Yorktown do a really good job on Camden Bell, um, the second leading scorer for Wapahani in that in the in the uh, county tournament. So I think they want to try to uh, limit Bell as much as possible as well, and then make some of those other guys beat them offensively. Wapahani, I think it's just a matter of ball movement and getting people involved. They're so good around that perimeter. Not just uh, Andrews, but certainly Bell can shoot. Nate Luce can shoot. Nate Cook can shoot. So if they shoot the ball well, and they usually defend pretty well as well, uh, also, um, I think that would lead to a Wapahani win if they can do that. Rob Fisher and Rick Johnston tonight from Delta High School, Delta Wapahani. The only matchup they'll have this season. Uh, one of the top teams in 2A and 3A matchup here in Delaware County tonight. Uh, enjoy the broadcast, Rob. We'll be listening. Look forward to talking to you tomorrow morning on the Coach's Corner. Sounds good, Mark. See you then. All right. That's uh, Rob Fisher with us. Great stuff tonight. Our coverage, 7 o'clock tonight, and, of course, on video as well. Go to our Facebook page to access that. Thanks to George Bremer, Rob Fisher, all of you for joining us all week. We're back with you Monday at 4. We'll talk to you then. Have a great weekend.